go. That's life. What's up with that? Let's go. And I've also like stay pretty like in tune with some of like the yeah. like the the entertainment news going on, and I, I'm a big YouTube like fan. I watch lots of YouTube, and like being on a podcast is a little scary. It's not like having a oh. song where you play something and it's yeah. interpreted by everyone. It's like it's careful what you say, you know. Like, mm-hmm. if, but uh, like same deal. Like you never know what's gonna happen when you put something out. Yeah, it's like super sure. weird. I have friends of mine who have had like really good experiences with songs, and then like. Two years later, like people are like using this song as the background of like some really shitty TikTok thing, right. and it's like a really right. negative one. And it's like, okay, this is not the not fame not I wanted. We this is ready. not the way. This is not how I wanted it to be. Right. Cool. I'm ready when you are, man. Uh, totally, man. I'm totally awesome. Ready. Sweet. What's up, everybody? What's up with that? I got my man Griffin Holtby here. I'm super excited. I've been trying to get this man on the podcast for a minute now. Um, just a super, super talented musician. Uh, he's been quoted as having a powerful voice and energetic guitar playing with crafty modern songwriting sensibility. You got a vintage uh, soul, vintage rock sound, dude. I'm super, super into it. Thank you, man. Yeah. Thank so you. just thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. Me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm loving this, man. Um, I, I kind of just get right into this, man. Um, I want to talk to you about your, uh, your new single, Golden Collar. Okay, so Golden Collar is an interesting one, and uh, I uh, I really enjoyed writing it. I uh, so you guys are in the generation that would probably really know who this is, but I've re- a lot of people I ask are like who, because um, they fell off the map. But there's this band called um, Single or no, not not Single by Sunday. That's a my buddies in uh, Sweden. Um, uh, called uh, I can't believe I'm forgetting this. Oh, Forever the Sickest Kids. Okay, yeah. You know who they are? I've heard of that, them? yeah. Okay. So, like, they got, they were one of the first <clears throat> Disney bands to do the Disney, like, yeah, yeah. thing and stuff. And they all got older, and they got huge for a few years when they were, like, 17, 18, 19. Went through some real BS in the industry, and then popped off in, in Asia. And they toured Asia for, like, six years, yeah. right? And nobody, they kind of just fell off the map in the United States. Like, people just were like, whatever, like... And the Japan and China, and they all loved them. And then they came back, and they all kind of settled down and stuff. And one of the guys owns this uh, studio out in Garland. And he's the lead singer, Caleb Thurman. Okay. And uh, he's really, really cool, super sweet guy, uh, not afraid to tell you how it is, you know, because like, I can be a bit of a wild, like, artistic type, you know? Yeah. And he did two of my songs. He did um, Overgrown and Feel My Heart at his studio with one of his engineers and with some of my people. And we got to know each other a little bit. And he had, like, this issue, um, and I won't say too much, but he had an issue at one point with a misunderstood situation when he was, like, 20 okay. while he was on tour. And the misunderstanding 
fell into the hands of a very, very powerful uh, cri criminal organization. So a lot of the time that, I think that he spent uh, post that tour, <clears throat> he was spending with like looking over his shoulder and stuff, and he's got family now and stuff. So he decided, and I don't think this was the main reason, but I think it definitely contributed because he told me he would like be out and like two or three years, he had to go to Muay Thai and like get really good at boxing and stuff. A few years after thinking about it, he would be sitting somewhere and some guy with face tattoos would be like across the room would be like, you know, like, yeah. and they were always had their eye on him and he didn't feel safe anymore. And so he moved with his wife and his wife uh, went, was like flipping out. Like you could only imagine what would happen if you had a target on your back, right? Like think about what that would be like. So he decided, okay, screw this. I put together the studio, I built it out. I've got this amazing engineer who's 21, mind you. His name's Beckett. Um, Wanamaker, he's got an amazing Spotify. You should get him on this. Uh, and uh, I'm going to leave. And he went and he settled down somewhere. I won't say where, but he, he's, he's gone. He's in a completely different country. Man. And he's with his family. And he's just going to, like, be the dude with his kids and, like, just go live his life in peace. There's nothing wrong with that, though, right? Right before he went, he went Griffin, mm -hmm. the best artist I've ever had in the studio. I want you to come back and cut, too. So he went in. I went in with no expectations. I, had, I have, like... 50 songs constantly that are ready to be recorded, right? And I started trying to show him stuff, and he was like, shut up. Like, no, we're doing something new. Yeah. This is all going to be new. So he, me, him, and the engineer sat in that studio for, for five days and uh, cranked out two tunes. Uh, and a lot of it was this, like, really, really new style of, like, writing from a vocal perspective. Like, hitting a note getting the is your key and then kind of like that song we talked about with uh sam smith like the the i bet that was like a voice memo that's why it was probably so like like promoted yeah, because that's yeah. like the voice can lead it and so i usually will like pick up my guitar play a few chords and be like that sounds good and then throw some lyrics on it that i'm feeling at the moment or something that fits best or like i'll go for a commercial thing where it's like friday night saturday night beer beer popping country song, you know, like hitting all like the, the, checking all the boxes of like the commercialized songwriting stuff. But he was like, screw that. We're going to go in and we're going to come up with melodies. And the only thing on this track is going to be like a click, 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 and a freaking vocals. And then we're going to build out. So I went in there with him and we just started singing this stuff. And he was like, you know, we did this other song first. And the second song, I come in and he's like, you're a mess. Like, you're not going to make it, Griffin. If you continue to, like, what? be out till 5 in the morning, if you continue to, like, put your energy into these girls that you're dating, I got you. if you continue to not, like, think like, a, like an adult. Yeah, yeah. And so he actually came up with, like, a lot of the, the idea of that was, like, um, I just want to die here. I won't see the world, and I'll lie here um, with the girl who knows a way to hold me down with a gold collar. It's, like, this almost like this thing that he put in my brain of this decision that you have to make where it's like there's a moment in every relationship where you go okay is this like pictures on the refrigerator level like if I go on this other tangent is this person going to support me and follow me or are they holding me back and that's what the golden collar is yeah. and it was really like I wrote like the lyrics and the song and stuff with him and the engineer but the idea was him predicting it was almost super weird because sometimes you can write a song and then not really know what it's about until years later. Yeah, which definitely. Which happened to me a lot. Yeah. 
And I realized later when I, like, I finally dropped it, I was listening to it all the time and doing these TikToks and stuff. I was like, dude, okay, he wrote that as a message to me. He gave me that idea of like being stuck because he watched me and I was stuck at the time. And so that's kind of why it, it, it means a lot to me. It's a little different from what I usually do with this like rock, country, blues, yeah, you're, classic sound. It's, it's a little out of your wheelhouse kind of. Totally. Yeah. And I kind of realized like if I'm tapping my foot in the studio while I'm singing it, and it's disco, or it's reggae, and I'm having a good time, we're putting it out, you know? Because yeah. I used to have this, like, purist mindset about a lot of the pop stuff and commercializing some of the music, and now I like to, I like to round the edges on my music, you know? I like to make it suave, man. I want girls singing my stuff in the crowd. And he was like, cool, let's do it. And we, we put together this tune, and uh, I mean, it, every time I hear it now, it's like, it just, like, sinks in more, just how realistically, like, it really fit who I was. And yeah. had I been the one to come up with that idea, it wouldn't have been the same. It had to be like a third person. So I'm excited about it. I haven't yeah, gotten to play it's, it live It's a yet. great single, man. I, I dig Thank it. You. Yeah, I mean, it's it's typically not your your stiff, the stuff that you're normally doing, but I'm, I'm liking the direction you're going with it. It's weird, because yeah. like, normally I just get a group of guys, like Zeppelin type thing, you know, <laughs> like a four piece, and we just go up there and play. Sure. And it's like, oh, this one's in B. You know, we're gonna do some, uh, you know, uh, uh, Thrill is Gone. You know, just think Thrill is Gone, and we write some random, like, lyrics on top of, like, a blues track. Okay. And then with these guys, with this song, I have to go, like, get, like, a rack and in-ears and, like, a keyboard player. Yeah. And it's, like, totally different ball game that I've, like, dunked my head into. Dude, I hate playing with in-ears. It's... I love it. You, you prefer it? I love it. Dude, oh, I can't hear anything out of this right ear. Oh, okay. As of, like, three weeks ago, I had, uh, like, two months ago, I had two different ear infections that I didn't do anything to take care of for a while because I didn't realize. I just thought that I was listening to music too loud. And then this one never healed. And now, like, my – it's almost like some days I'll wake up and it's like I can hear everything like you would when you just come out of water and you can, like, finally hear everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then other days it's like literally – it's like somebody's holding. Well, I'm sure being ears. that close to a PA every night oh my gosh. that doesn't help. Which is why I want know? I want those in ears because like I'm always turning around, turning up my guitar amp. Yeah, yeah. And then just like hoping that like I don't piss off the sound guy, you know. <laughs> and then every once in a while I'll have. You're some messing sound up his mix. Like, want to use our in ears, and I'm like, I've got my, I've got my, uh, you know, my my headphone, my in ear headphones with me. Like I yeah. can cl- connect to your wireless thing, and then those are the <clears> best shows. Because I can hear every single thing I'm doing. Yeah. And otherwise I can't, man. No, that's great. Did I, you I spend a lot of time playing in ears. Man, I only had a couple shows where I was offered it. Okay. You know, but uh, anytime I tried it, I I just didn't vibe with it because I was so used to hearing the band mm-hmm. and just being able to hear everyone next to me. It's super weird. Isn't and it? so when you first put it in and you just hear yourself. Because it's noise canceling. Yeah, because you you try to do it just one and then you get the weird like like vertigo almost sense like <sighs> you know what I mean or in and out yeah, at the same so time. Weird. Yeah. So you have to, and finally, I always just found myself just taking them out. And yeah. Then, so. I mean, and like, I'd rather have them in and then take them out at the end of the day than yeah. like not have them. Song, I think of like, I'm like, okay, 
Like, this is the first song I'm going to walk into a room with a new band with and be like, play this. And if they can't do it, I'll be like, bye-bye. Yeah. I don't have time anymore. I'm 22. I always thought that, like, my moment would come when I'm 19. It sounds demanding, but honestly, if you're, a rec- if you're a recording musician, you need to be able to do that. It feels dickish. Yeah, dude, my last show, I had six days to prep and learn three songs. I did it just fine. You know, yeah, yeah. but that's what's asked of you as a musician. Right? You got paid, right? No, I didn't get paid for that one, but it was it was just for a friend. That kind of thing, though. Like, yeah. Most people will get paid, and like, there was an expectation behind that, mm-hmm. you know. And it, it's being a young artist. It's it was weird realizing like, okay, that's right. And then one of the guys that I played with before that we had to fire was amazing, and he's got his own, another band that he's in now. But he's the drummer, and he was like the most dedic- one of the most dedicated musicians I've ever worked with. Just like put so much time and energy into me without me asking him to. He would call me out of the blue on days when I was thinking to myself, like, oh, I got to get the boys together to do some stuff. Yeah. And then, like, 15 minutes later, there'd be a phone call from him. That's great. Like, oh, my gosh. But he plays, like, a freaking, like, metal guy. And not, like, double kick or anything, but, like, just... He's filling every space. And I'm like, dude, I'm trying to hit this John Mayer thing. Yeah, yeah. Continuum album yeah. thing where it's, Slow like... Slow it down a little bit. And it's, like, we're getting the girls involved. And, like, the 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 beat doesn't doesn't move. Like, we would play songs, like, these country tunes that have, like, this booty grooving you know like 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 tempo to them mm-hmm. and the bass is like bump bump but with the kick you know and it's fitting and by the by the halfway through the song i would start to see butts moving you know i would start to see like the girls moving around and the guys with them going like oh crap like look at my girl she's starting yeah. to dance like this band is like there's your sign bringing right us there. some like energy and guess what would happen what by the time we would hit like the end of the second chorus it would be like confusion in the crowd because my drummer would speed up. And that, you gotta stay in that pocket. You right? have to. Like, As a drummer, you have to. dancing along to you specifically, right? Like, mm-hmm. you've got to. And that's kind of really the main reason why I ended up having to cut that. I can't be a drummer. I, I just can't do it. I can't be the beat. I, I'm, I'm up for hire. No, I see you. You play drums for other bands. I try to, and like, I try to it, but the click is hard when you're drumming. Yeah. It's something that only a few, a certain, certain level of artists can do. And like, the ones who don't sit down every day and play to a click, the same thing with guitar, though. If you're not playing on a click or a metronome every now and then... But if you're a guitar player, aren't you recording more? That's true. So you're, like, on the click because you're playing the songs and tracking, mm-hmm. you know? When, when you're a drummer, like, the click, when you're tracking, it's usually just, like, memorize the sections of a song and play to a click. I don't know. Well, I can't tell you how many times, like, I've gone on to record a, a riff or something, and you're so used to just playing it, with, like, just with the band, and you, mm-hmm. and you go try to play with the click, and you just can't get it. Oh, and it, it, and even though, like... I could walk in after you're done, and you could have done 15 takes. I could go through all of them and go, "That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. That fits. Yeah, that fits." Right. You are hearing the little one little section yeah. of buzz that like goes over the click line. You exactly. Know? Like, you you could see that grid, and you just get. It's easy to get so, like, perfectionist with it. And Absolutely. You have to kind of stay in that balance, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm excited though, because uh, there's this band called The Room Sounds, and they play all around Dallas. The good buddies of mine. They're all older. I was playing with a lot of guys that were younger. I was leading the charge a lot when it came to setting up equipment, booking shows, running shows, choosing songs, having a sound, performing, um, getting the crowd involved, engaged, and like posting online. All the stuff that you do that, cult- that, that culminates together into like the idea of having an actual career that's moving forward slowly with momentum mm-hmm. was me. And a lot of the things that I would do, they just didn't get it because I'm a businessman. 
just as much as I am an artist. You have and to be. They're, they're more artists than they were businessmen. Mm-hmm. These guys that are older, I've realized recently, I need to be in rooms and you know studios and shows that are with guys who are five plus years older than I am, who have gone and spent three years in Nashville and suffered. Yeah, learn from them. Who are who who are re- willing to be like that sucks. Like you shouldn't be up there with that band. You should be better. You could yeah. be better. You know. And that's kind of the avenue I'm taking. Right well, your hometown now. crowd isn't going to tell you that. They're not. Yeah, you got to. They're not going to support you like a like a non hometown crowd will. That's true. So you just recently went to Nashville, right? Yeah, I just spent a week there. Yeah, how was yeah. that, man? You went. Dude, it was freaking awesome. Yeah. Can I to swear on this? Uh, of course. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. It was fucking bomb. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, I thought that I was going to go there, and spend a lot of time there, and maybe even move down there sooner than later. Okay. But. I went and I saw and I did some sessions and I met with Bonnie Baker and I met with some people that, that are tied into some of the management that I'm with and, and friends of friends that have, were like, oh, you're going to Nashville? Like, meet my buddy, have a session. I did some writing sessions. I spent a lot of time on, on Broadway, did some partying with my brother. Um, I actually ran into one of Chris Rock's, like, management people while I was at Kid Rock's. Oh, that's cool. We were, like, dressed up because I love to dress like a, like a beast, you know? I don't sure. ever want to go out in sweatpants. And... They had like these two, three older manager guys had these like a bunch of these girls at like a bachelor party that were probably like in their 23 to 25. And these guys were like in their 40s and 50s backstage. But it's not backstage. It's kind of like just like this section on the side that's just like you can look, overlook everything. We walked in, me and my buddy, and they just pulled us in. And I was like, why are we here? He's like, because they're old and we look, it looks better when the ratio has got some young guys in it. So we got to hang out back. And I pulled a beer out of this, 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 uh, this like a uh, ice box and one of the guys came over to me after I'd popped it and sipped out of it and he grabbed it and he went and he put it like in the trash and I was like what dude like yeah he just invited me back stage with you who's paying for this the guy who's clearly the man one of the managers of this kid rocks bar who I spoke to briefly um he was a douche um He's like, yeah, I know, I know Kid. I know Kid Rock. You know? I was like, do you really, though? And it was just really odd. Yeah. And that was like kind of like a, a, a theme that I've dealt with in my career a lot, uh, but not quite at the level that I did in Nashville, which is people are like, oh, so excited to meet you. And they're like, yeah, dude, you sound great. But guess what you are to them? What's that? A commodity? competition oh okay yeah so they might like want to write a song with you and chill with you but they don't want to send you the files for that song because they don't want you to have control over that song they don't want you to get a gig at their place and do better than them right like they don't and i dealt with that for a few years here in dallas so because of that kind of mentality and just like how big it was my mom and i were like "Mm, you could definitely kill it here but you could also get kind of sucked into. Well, like dude, this. I think Nashville is probably one of the hardest ones to get into, as far as. I could do well. I think so too. But that, that's definitely your lane. Fall into like the same category as all these people who are just going there to work and like trying to make it. Sure. You know? And that was kind of the fear. So we decided not to stay. Decided to come back, and we were like, you know what? Over the next two years, we're gonna play three or four of the biggest venues you can get your hands on until you know at the time in Nashville, and we'll travel there. Yeah. We'll go spend two months there. So tell me, you checked out Jack White's studio, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So cool. Uh, I've heard about it. I've seen pictures. Being there was different. There was a line for the – have you heard about the uh, little recording booth they have? No, no. Tell me all about it, man. So they have this um, 
he's obsessed with like old timey like recording oh dude he's got stuff. the coolest he's stuff he's got the coolest yeah. like mentality about music and like he wrote a record with the fastest uh microphone to vinyl print of all time he was recording a lazaretto that that song that i love that love it he recorded that live in front of an audience at that studio in the back back warehouse no way live and there was a a video feed of the song going through wires obviously and into like a mixing board like the one you you would have or the one that somebody would have like these engineers are running it and and and, you know mixing it and it went straight to a record printing thing about the time the song was over there was only about maybe a a minute or a minute 30. And this is, I'm pretty sure I'm right about this, but yeah. I may need to look it up. Uh, a minute or a minute 30 left between the time they finished playing the song live and the first vinyl of it was printed. That's amazing. It was like printing as they were playing, yeah. which is insane. Yeah. So when you go in there, you can, um, I'm going to look this up, make sure I'm right, but you can, um, you can go into like this little booth that he has. It's probably like this from here to the wall. It's about here with me. So it's like just this big and like, there's like this little guitar there. And you could cut like a one minute, 55 second. Oh, tell me you did that. Thing. I didn't. There was a line. Oh, man. We, we, I had to go. I had stuff that I had to do. But yeah. I'll go back. I would rather go back to uh, to uh, that record shop when it's closed and Jack White and I are like hanging out, having a beer. Well, of course. You know, like, so yeah. <laughs> I see all these things and I can't help but feel sometimes when I'm in Nashville or LA or like whatever, New York, like, okay, I've seen it. You know, mm. I'm not a tourist here. I'm a, I'm a performer. Yeah, you know, you, like, you I, work. I know what the back 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 end looks like, mm -hmm. and I'm sure that I'll get there enough to where I can see I feel it. More. That. But it was still super cool. Yeah. That guy chose yellow. Like, what an interesting color. The studio's yellow. Well, it's all yellow. Like, he has all this dark brooding like album art and stuff, and it's like red and white from the white stripes and black, and like very bold. And then okay. he chose yellow as like his branding color for the next however long i don't know why but it is so cool because it's so like nobody else really does yellow yeah i've noticed it's kind of like a forbidden it's so bright on tv and on camera it's like a forbidden that is kind of weird yeah within like the entertainment he just industry. dyed his hair blue too recently because he's yeah he does blue a lot yeah 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 uh but the yellow was surprising i was expecting it to be like dark and like Cool and brooding and like almost like cobwebs, but it was not. Dude, how cool would it be to record there though? Oh my gosh, dude. I mean, oh shit, man. I would die for that kind of thing. And I've, you know what? People like him and like McCourtney Love and a lot of these big artists, they will, like, there's, it's not the day of like, oh, go play and some guy in the crowd's gonna be like a record exec and he's gonna like take you in like he, they did with Bob Dylan or something like that and just throw you on the biggest radio station in the world. But there are moments. You have to work at it now, you know. But there are moments where people like Courtney Love. There's this band called um, Dead Sarah. They're so cool. I might even pull up a song of theirs. Um, and they're like a lot like Hole. Courtney Love, like found her, and was just like, "You're awesome. You're on my label now." And this girl was like, 23 or 25, yeah. and she was like, "What? Who are you?" She's like, "Hole baby." I'm from Hole. <laughs> and this girl was like, what? You know, she talks about it in an interview. Um, uh, and they do like heart-shaped boxes and stuff, but this is, the, this is the chick. So it's like, it's really like realistic to like have something like that happen, but it's so uncommon. But I have a friend of mine who I think I'm going to try to get him to go to a... Uh, okay, right? yeah, that's totally, sick. Like, like Courtney Love would love this, you yeah. know? 
and her voice is fire. It's just. Yeah, it's almost like turnstile. Oh, turns! I saw the blood. No way. Oh, uh, I, I almost got trampled in their freaking mosh pit. Dude, they're so they're like they're so sick. Dude, I love them, man. Like dude, they're, they're cool. one of as far as like some of like the like bands out right now that you can go see and like just have an absolute fucking blast going to their show. Turnstile. That one was fun, and I had never really been to like some huge metal show. You know, like I've gone to big rock shows. Yeah. But my bass player at the time, who I just uh, fired from the band, you could say, but uh, he's got his own stuff going on. So he's he was like, okay, I kind of knew this was coming. I knew, I, knew, I could tell you were going in a different direction. Yeah, he was yeah. super sweet about it. He uh, took me along with a buddy, and I wasn't really ready for what we were going to be dealing with. I didn't know what Turnstile was. We listened to them in the car on the way there, and I was like, oh, this is a cool rock band. And I get into the mosh, and um, it was wild, man. There's a lot of really big. I'm five seven. I wear boots to make me a little taller, but I'm five seven. You know, I work out. Yeah. You know, I can handle myself if I had to. But a mosh is never like negative. They're not trying to hurt you. Oh, thank you, dude. Um, and uh, so I got in there and I just got arm barred right to the ground immediately. It was one of the first real moshes. Like I'd been in moshes at big shows, yeah, rock, yeah. like like uh, um, Foo Fighters and like Park and like. Um, What's the Jared Leto's band? Um, 30 Seconds to Mars. 30 Seconds to Mars. That's not really like heavy metal, it's though. Yeah. It's like there's not this like anger being released. Like yeah. And it's not anger towards everyone else. It's just a different vibe. It's just like I come here to see a metal band play, and I come here to let out all my freaking energy. Yeah. And like if you're on the wrong side of an arm, dude, you like, you know, and I got knocked down, and I got trampled briefly. I had somebody step on my liver, or I don't know which side, but I got stepped on. And then I got up, and then a few weeks later, I was like, Man, I keep tasting blood. <laughs> oh, no way. And I got this, like, I got this shard in my nose. And when I sing, I can even feel it sometimes moving around because of the air yeah. coming in and out. But, like, this cartilage shard that's just, like, floating around right here because of Ouch. it. And then, like, th maybe a month or two ago, I went to another show for this band called Daikaiju. Do you know who they are? No. Okay, they set, they weren't allowed to do it this year, but they set their instruments on fire at the end of every show. Like That's expensive. Like punk, I know, right? Damn. But they use shit. They use shitty stuff. Yeah. Like they use. I noticed. I was like, okay. And they weren't allowed to do it at the very end. Like the, the bar was like, you can't, because they were about to light stuff on fire. So they just straight up Jimi Hendrix every yeah, show. All of it. And like the kit, everything. They bring like lighter fluid, and it's like this. It's like this community like experience like everybody that's there that's knows crazy. that they're gonna burn their stuff at the end and like yeah. people like run around the amps and everything all of it and like they put it in the center of the venue they don't do it in the center of the stage they yeah. come into the center of the venue and they move down towards the people Oof. um and so by the end of it there's like all these shirtless dudes who are like in the metal like jumping around a fire like a bunch of like like homo sapiens you know like just yeah, like a bunch yeah. of like neanderthals it's hilarious but uh i got in that mosh pit and this guy actually literally like I literally saw the fear in his face because he was just doing this. But there was this one moment where I was standing right there and it was a split second. And I saw him like with his hand and I saw him go from like I'm moshing to I'm about to clock this guy in the face and knock him out. And he nailed me. Yeah. And I hit the ground again. And I got up and I walked away and I just started spitting up blood, bro. Yeah. And since then, I've been like. Oh, and my doctor and I had a meet. I had an appointment the other day and my doctor was like, you're never going to fix that. Like it's. You had so that's my story. That's my mosh story. Yeah, that's crazy. I have a piece of cartilage floating around in my in my nose now for the rest of my life because of 
Freaking, uh, what's the band called again? 30 Seconds to Mars? No, no, Turnstile. No. Turnstile. Yeah, Turnstile turn did that to me, bro. That's crazy. Cheers, Cheers man. man. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. What's the name of this? Oh, man, this is Strain of Hands, Blue Peak. Oh, that's good. Single malt. Let me take a picture of that. I'm a whiskey lover. My, like, Ooh. absolute whiskey lover. Mm. So good. Oh my gosh. Are these for me? Yeah, those are yours, man. Oh. Yeah, yeah. This is going on a guitar. Please. This is going please. on a guitar. Please, yeah, yeah. So I, I, ga I gave some to Ricky Mitchell. I had him on the show. You did? Yeah, yeah. I think he's the one who recommended this. Yeah, probably. I, yeah. I love Ricky. He's, he's such, a such a fucking talent, dude. I got a story about him. Yeah, and so he threw a couple on his guitar, and uh, he's out there in deep and playing I all the time. I remember sitting down here and looking at this and going, like, where have I seen that? Yeah, yeah, probably from him. It's probably on his guitar, yeah. Yeah. Dude, that is awesome. Ricky and I have an interesting history. Y'all used to play together, right? Yeah, did he tell you the story? Uh, he touched on it. He didn't really... So, like, I graduated from high school. So, I did music. There's a little life story for me. So, I was adopted from Russia when I was eight months old. Yeah. Um, and my, my mom and my dad tried artificial insemination and all this stuff, and they just couldn't have a baby. Surprise, surprise. A few days after, or a few uh, months after I was born, my mom got pregnant with my brother. And then a little while after, another surprise came, came along, and my little, little brother. Um, and they say that happens a lot. Once the pressure of like having a baby is over, then like it's like just it happens right yeah. after you adopt a kid. So um, we, I grew up in, in Dallas and I started playing because my dad showed me Cream. And I loved it. And that double kick, Ginger Baker stuff, like I don't know what it was, but he had this Audi that had a really good sound. And I would sit in the back. He showed me Jack, um, uh, Johnny Cash, Jack Johnson, all these great artists that he loved. He showed me Black Keys before they were the Black Keys, man. Like, he loved those guys for, like, eight years before they got big at all. Yeah. Before El Camino. I've been listening to the Black Keys since I was, like, six years old. And they were playing in the mom's basement. They're a sick them. band. To be a two-piece. So awesome. And, like, uh, you know what? They put in, and you don't know that nobody, well, you do, but, like, most people who are just industry customers, you know, don't know that, like, Overnight success means you add ten years to that, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. There's a whole bunch. Of, there's a back like end of that. Sixteen years of like touring around and suffering before sure. like, you got close to that like album that popped, um, and that's kind of what my dad and I loved. And he was like, "This band is so raw. They're gonna make it." But like, we're gonna have like listened to them when we were younger. Yeah. Anyways, I started putting together pots and pans in the kitchen when my mom was cooking, getting spoons and banging on them, and my parents were like, "What the hell? Like, what is this kid doing?" So you were that kid with the I pots was, and pans. Exactly. Yeah. And so. My dad's friend came over one night, and I did that, and he was having just a beer with my dad or whatever, and he has uh, a few kids too, and he was in this band called The Lab, which is a, the Lakewood area band, Lakewood, you know, right by Lakewood, uh, White Rock Lake. Okay, yeah. And uh, a dear friend of mine uh, is the lead singer, and they're all family friends, and he was like, dude, I think his last name is Winslow, um, I was like, dude, you've got to get this fucking kid a drum kit. And my dad was like, are you serious? Like, we're going to have to deal with this every single day? And he was like... Yeah, you guys have a back house. Just put it in the back house. Yeah. So Christmas that year, I get a first act drum kit and a guitar. You know, like the Toys R Us first act. Yeah, thing. yeah, of course. I brought a bunch of friends over, and we were stand there, and we just played randomness. And we thought we were so cool. And then I started taking lessons, um, learning some guitar. I hated lessons. Um, my parents were like, whatever. Like, this kid doesn't want to sit still. And we went to Mexico. And then when I was nine, we moved to Mexico for two years uh, to learn Spanish. I think I have relatives there. 
just because my parents are both from D.C. They met on Capitol Hill. My mom did renewable energy for a long time, traveling around the world. My dad uh, was in uh, uh, Wells, not Wells Fargo. It's um, some other some other big banking finance company getting to travel. And my mom worked in Congress, uh, representing some congressmen. So like their emphasis on just being like having a worldview that is accurate, you know, not, you know, liberal or like educated, like go to like a really nice like Ivy League. No, it's more like go when you're on the street, when there's that woman begging for change in Mexico, ask her what her name is and have the courage as a kid because you've been in enough situations like that to like see poverty and engage with it, you know, see you know, different customs and ask about them. And yeah, I think that's just being really human. Blessed. Yeah, that's just being human, honestly. Right? And a lot yeah. of people in my generation, I don't think that they've had experiences when they were younger that <clears throat> cultivated them to act in that way. True. Uh, just by nature. So I got lucky with that. And while I was there, there was this um, singing coach named Elena Shoemaker. Uh, well, there was this one before her. But the one before her was right when I got there. I had no friends and I didn't speak Spanish. My mom found this singing coach because right, I was at School of Rock uh, before we left and they had me singing Thunderstruck because I had randomly auditioned because this jerk kid who was a buddy of mine, but he was still kind of a jerk to me because I was the youngest kid in the, in the group, uh, pushed me into the audition room yeah. and the, the auditioners were like, are you going to sing? And I was like, Thunderstruck. And they were like, yeah, you should probably sing you this one. And it wasn't even one. like, uh, I wasn't even trying. I, I yeah. didn't even know why I was pushed in that room. You know, and I got lucky. And they were like, okay, you're singing this song. So I went there to, um, I went there to, uh, uh, you know, learn Spanish, but my mom had realized, okay, maybe he could sing. He's playing drums and stuff all the time now. And I was wanting to pick up a guitar sooner than later. Like, he keeps picking it up, but he doesn't know what he's doing. Well, it's it through a lesson. And we moved to Mexico, and there's this vocal coach, and I'm trying to remember her name. I can't, and she was so cool. She was like, if Axl Rose was a woman. <laughs> really? Spanish from Mexico City. She was the coolest. Did she have a top over, hat and everything? Oh big, my gosh. Big tall top hat. She, no, not the top hat, but she had like the uh, the uh, like uh, Steven Tyler like and uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, I'm gonna get, I want to get a tattoo of her. I can't even remember her name. Stevie Nicks. Thank you so much. The Stevie Nicks shawl. Yeah, yeah. She's just cool. She had the boots on all the time. She just always looked rings, skulls, like like a rocker. And she was in some big cover metal band in. Uh, Mexico City, she'd moved away from like an abusive husband or something like that. She was teaching. So she taught me how to sing um, Yellow by Coldplay and uh, Sweet Child of Mine by Under the Roses. Yeah. And I did this little like recital and it was great. So we kind of fell out with her because I think she went back to Mexico City or she went on her own career because she was maybe in her 30s. Oh, and uh, she uh, was uh, clearly like still, you know, taking time in her career and doing things. And there was this new one. Elena Schumacher, she's 77 years old, had um, drank Mick Jagger under the table one time. This is like her go-to story. Uh, she's a white woman. So this is a part of Mexico called San Miguel de Allende, and it's in Guadalajara. Uh, and it's, it's, it's the only city in Mexico that has a, um, not a Four Seasons, it's called a Rosewood Hotel. You know what I'm talking about? Sure. They're like the kind of hotel... Jeff Bezos would stay in. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're massive luxury they ones. finally got, like, yeah. a Rosewood. And so it's where all these Americans go. Mm. It's right in the center of where a lot of the drug problems happen, but it's got this weird bubble around it because of some of the... Everybody knows, like, don't mess with the people in San Miguel because the American government has come down there 
and has brought like and they, they don't talk about this but has brought like military force down there yeah. to like find like so you're, are you, you're fluent in spanish mm-hmm. yeah. yeah um so like people know like don't mess with san miguel they got all the whiteies there all the people from the united states are there all these tourists it's still cobblestone streets there's still horse-drawn carriages it is literally like walking into like 1918 it's so cool wow while i was there that teacher elena shoemaker used to do this thing she was so cool she would uh Punch me in the stomach. By the time I get to my lesson, she would be like five glasses of wine in. She'd punch me in the stomach and be like, sing it like Mick. And what she's talking about is what I just practiced today with my coach, diaphragm. You know this, right? Yeah. Like you use your diaphragm to push air out of your lungs instead of your throat. Like That's you what they say, yell. yeah. And it, when you yell, you can destroy your vocal cords. And when you use your diaphragm, it's, to, it's the correct way to sing. And I did this recital with her. Uh, and it was like a play mixed with a recital. And I wore this silly, there's a video somewhere, but... There's pictures on my Instagram, I think. Silly, huge foam sailor's hat. I was playing the sailor who gets caught by the sirens in the, in the, in the, in the thing. And uh, I sang Bridge Over Troubled Water. Like a bridge over troubled water, I'll bring you down. And uh, all the women started crying. Uh, and I was like, what did I do wrong? I didn't understand. Yeah, I yeah. was like maybe 10, 9 or 10 at the time. And my mom was like, you don't even know how like, everyone here has got like somebody that they love, that they, they've lost, who they wish they could have been that bridge for, whatever it is. And now that song, I love that song. Like, it's yeah. one of my favorite songs of all time. And that's where it began. I was playing instruments already a little bit. But that was the moment where I was like, all right, maybe I could sing. So I go back to the United States. We apply to get into St. Mark's and some other private schools. My brothers and I both get into St. Mark's, the all-boys school on Preston. I have to go back for testing. I have to get shots and do like a checkup before I go into the school year. It's just me and my dad. And he's in town, so he stayed in Dallas to, uh, to work because he runs a company uh, while we were in Mexico. And while I'm there, I started going to school at Rock. Uh, and uh, that's when somebody kicked me in the room and was like, sing Thunderstruck. You know, um, I'd sung before at School of Rock uh, in some little things, but it wasn't the Thunderstruck level. Yeah. It wasn't like, I was 12 then, and it was like, oh, this guy's got some pipes. Those School of Rock classes, are, man, they have some stars in there. They do. Yeah. And I think, I think on the back end of it, being 22, I almost, I don't resent, but I definitely regret allowing the, psych, the psychological musical tastes of a lot of teachers yeah. to influence what I believed was cool music. So they, they're real pushy about what they make you do? And, and, uh, not really, but it's called School of Rock, so if it doesn't rock, Gotcha, gotcha. So it's kind of indoctrinating a lot of these kids, I think. This ideology that rock is cool, Mm -hmm. which it is. But, you know, so is, like, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, the kind of guy who right now would be doing this same song as, like, never going to give you up. Like, that's still great music. Sure. People smile. People have a good time. And I got locked into this idea that, like, if it didn't have a distorted guitar in it, a little bit of fuzz, you know, then it was just, like, not cool. Um Although I wouldn't be as far. That as is that. the image that they put out there, it though. Is, though. It yeah. is. It really is, and it's like rock and roll is so cool, and I think that it's different for everyone. I think that I definitely got influenced by that because mm. that was like, when I was recording that song, that single, that was like the like, the guy who told me that was like you got indoctrinated by School of Rock was mm. Caleb. Okay. Did that song, those pop songs, I was like, oh man, I want to put some guitar on this. He's like, shut up. Like you are wrong. Yeah. Like, try something else. Is, it's it's you see how much fun you're having, bro. 
Like, just because it doesn't have rock in it, you know, it doesn't mean that it's not cool. And I think that School of Rock indoctrinated you. And since then, I've been thinking about it like, ooh, maybe they did. So. And I mean, now that you say it, I definitely see it. Yeah. A lot of the kids in School of Rock that you'll see that are from School of Rock are still playing in metal bands right now. Sure. You know? And, like, if they didn't have that, maybe there's a chance they would have been playing in more, more, uh, what's the word, successful commercial-based musical endeavors that can be like their main like slice of the pie and then they get to go have their metal band right yeah, but yeah. they won't do that their pride is too strong i think and mine was too um well it's hard it's hard, it's hard to it's hard to switch out of things that you're comfortable with you it know? is so hard to you know? right yeah. and then when you get indoctrinated into like just this like kiss zeppelin who yeah. all these people that are just so rock and roll and that they used to destroy you know hotel rooms like you just that you just totally think that's so cool you know and anything that's not is just yeah, lame, yeah. wah, 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 you know. So you go to, you go there, you go to Mexico, you're doing vocal classes. At what point do you go, okay, I think I'm ready for American Idol? Totally, totally, totally farther down the line. Okay, I guess this is the day I've been waiting for. Like, there's nobody here in Dallas anymore for, that I know. What do I do? And I go home, and my mom and I sit down, and she's like, well, there's an open mic tonight at Diva Marco. Go ahead. And so I went to the open mic, slid in without getting ID'd, had a drink, you know, uh, met with all these musicians, and I started hanging out in Deep Ellum. And I would go down to Deep Ellum uh, every night, every night, for like six months, every single night. And I would buy a cigar, $2, $3 cheap cigar, and I'd walk, and I would wait until it was done burning, and I'd walk the blocks over and over again. It's a miracle I didn't get held up at gunpoint before I did. Uh, and I was like 18, and all the homeless guys and I would, you know, shoot the shit. All the bouncers knew who I was, which was a mistake because later on I tried to get in with my fake ID, and they were like, weren't you like 18 like a year ago? And I was like, no, 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 I was just bullshitting you. But I started looking in, peering into all these places, and I met Ricky. On the oh, nice, yeah. And I listened to him play, and I sat across the street at this other place, glasses on and I faced the opposite direction and I looked over and I saw who he was and I just sat there and listened for like 30 minutes and I was like this guy hasn't stopped to take a break he's undeniable like who is this motherfucker yeah like what and so I walk up to him I'm like dude I just rented out this new studio space why don't we get together and so he's like yeah as long as you pick me up and he was going through some stuff on his own he was kind of finding his path as a young adult yeah he was probably my age now or like 21 or 22 when I was 18. I think he's a few years older than me. So he was like in that place that I'm looking at, which is like moving out of the house fully, separating from family financially. So yeah, yeah, just spreading your wings, getting out of there. Exactly. He didn't yeah. have a car. He was staying at this, like, some other place. So I had to come pick him up. Pick him up. We go over to the studio. We start working together. I've had this idea for a band called Fifth Phoenix for like four years since I was in middle school. I wrote it down on like a scribble. Yeah, yeah. Fifth Phoenix, which is a cool name. I'd written all these ideas out, but that was the one that stuck. And I was like, let's be a band called Fifth Phoenix. We get this drummer from uh, from um, uh, Fort Worth named Taylor, who's killing it right now, dude. Oh my God, he's playing with some of the best country acts in Texas right now. The kid's like 22. He's like one of the best drummers. I'm so bummed that he's not playing for me anymore. But put this thing together, and I found myself, it sounded cool. He was developing, I was, he doesn't play chords. 
that he doesn't play like a C, D, E. Yeah. He just hears and does. Yeah, it's right? amazing. So I was like playing bass, waiting for some other guy to come play bass, trying mm-hmm. to find some other guy to fill for me so I could play alongside him on guitar. And we put in like six months, eight months even, recording all these songs. And man, I wonder if I still have some of the songs. That's two different songwriting styles though. Even you, you have like the chord writer and then you have just the improviser. I'm more in the vein of like improvising. Super, I'm, I'm super commercial too. Yeah, yeah. So you're, so you're more like, chords. And what's the last line of the chorus? Uh, well, baby, you just smoke. Cool. What chord is that? A D? Well, baby, it's just smoke. All right, we got four lines to work backwards from, mm. from that one holdout and then give us that killer line, right? That's how I operate, and that's not how he operates. No, not so, at all. at a certain point, I was playing bass, we were playing all these open mics, and we had this drummer, and we didn't sound bad at all. Like, I, there were good song ideas. My voice sounded good. He was singing here and there, but he was playing his butt off on guitar, and we were just having so much fun. My mom, who's been like my cheerleader my whole entire life, like my life would not be where it is today without that woman. She was just like, Griffin, this is not going to be easy for you, and I know that you just built this, but it's not about you anymore. And like, I'm never going to let you do something like longer than a few months that's not about you. Because you have to. Because your future is as a Keith Urban or as like a Bon Jovi. And there are people who are going to be willing to, to come in on the wings and support you. Sure. You don't have to like slide in and like create this band with these guys. How good they are is doesn't matter, but it's like the path needs to change. And I was like, okay. She sat me down and she told me this like, I know this is gonna be hard for you because you've become really good friends with these guys, and you're young. And this is the first business endeavor you ever kind of considered as an actual like adult, but you gotta end it. So I, I called him over, I drove him to the studio, we jammed, and then at the end I sat down with him and I was like, hey, listen, like. This is going to be the last time we have to jam as a band. Yeah. And I told him verbatim, I said, I think that the real, the best, most realistic lifestyle and future for the two of us is that we may find ourselves playing the same bill in three or four years with our own bands. And that's what happened, right? Three or four years later, he and I played the same bill. Yeah. At the venue that I put all this work into, it stands. And I think that fits y'all way better. It does. Yeah. And we stayed right there. And it, what it was, was my mom finally said to me, she said, Griffin, you and Ricky are the same guy, and there can only be one of you in a band. Exactly. You're going to eventually, mm-hmm. and you think you're going to knock him out, bro? He's going to knock you out, bro. Yeah. He's going to take you down, bro. He's going to take the band and run because he's so good. And you are too, but like the things that you guys are doing aren't showing these guys how good what you do. It's, like, it's like the Roger Waters, David Gilmore thing. I mean, they, yes. you know, yes. they, they just butt heads because yes. they're so good. And it's weird because later on, more recently, like obviously we're in this place where he's got like this bus and they're playing on top of the bus. And I love that, dude. It's so and sick. He's doing all this stuff and he's starting to play inside the venues. And when they really started to play in the venues, I think I had a lot to do with me and my man Hayden with Work in Progress because I was like, Hayden, check out this guy. Like I'd known him for forever ago. I saw him at this open mic and I was like, oh, what's up? And then I came and played with them on the street uh, with my amp alongside them in Debellum, and we had some fun. We started reconnecting and talking and hanging out. Yeah. And I was like, dude, you should get these guys booked in at stands. Like, it's amazing how min- how much, like, Hayden is connected, because I had him on the show also. Okay. He's connected to, like, everybody, he's dude. Yeah. And, like, a lot of those things aren't things that he's aware of. They're, like, people like me, <clears> and, like, you know, he, he and I would probably agree that I'm considered, like, a partner in the, the work that he does. Uh, he, we, ju- we just finished a year-long residency running stands. Yeah. Um, which... 
he and I both took serious like knees on that stuff sometimes because we had like put in some serious work. I'll put on it's, some killer shows though. You did man? Oh yeah. my god, Avery Burke, dude, crowd surfed at stands, dude. Oh no, we shit. haven't had live music in ten, seven to nine years, and like. From what I've been told and from what I've researched, it seems like it's possible that Willie Nelson and Steve Ray Vaughan both played there before they started oh, no playing way. music. So, like, that's a historical stage in my yeah. opinion. And uh, that was such an amazing experience. And, uh, I mean, you may not know this, but, you know, they weren't willing to go farther. And we weren't getting paid the way we should have. And, and some, some things just didn't pan out. Everyone there was sweet and kind. Yeah. But um, we ended up kind of pulling out. So we did a year-long residency there. And that's kind of where Ricky – had only been playing on the streets from what I've seen. And then when he, me and Hayden kind of like grabbed him by the nape of the neck and dragged him into stands. Yeah. And he saw all the white girls from SMU like drooling over him and played. He was like, fuck the street. I don't think I've seen him play on the street in months, man. Dude, when, he, when he came on the show, he was like, I don't really go out in the street anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yo, I, I just, I take a lot of pride in the fact that I had to like put him down and be like, yo, we can't be in a band together. Yeah. Which he clearly was super into when we were doing it. And then getting to watch him, like, make that transition, I felt, like, so much guilt in the year, the year or so after that because I'd see bands with great guitar players and stuff. Mm -hmm. And my mom and I would go out and go see shows and stuff all the time since I was a kid. And I just, like, I, wouldn't, I couldn't help but, like, think about, like, Ricky, you know? And be like, sure. damn, like, I feel like I gave this guy, like, let him smell the pie and then, Hold it away from him because I know I'm really good at what I do, and so is he. And then when I started to see him play live again, I was like playing with the group. And it, funny story, I know the guy. I played Curtain Club, opening up for the band Cleo Cadence, uh, Love Pass Blue, in 2015 with the bass player who played for Cleo Cadence at the time, who now plays for Ricky, Joe. Small world, dude. Joe also went to to. LA to play with this band called the Darbies who surprise surprise like six to eight months before they had him playing yeah they had hit me up on this thing called band mix you know what that is I've heard of that yeah so it's like it's like tinder for musicians exactly. kind of like you put together a band put all your videos down and show them all your stuff and all your content and then people will like audition or they'll talk to you and then you can get connected with artists who are willing to and musicians who are willing to come in and play for you or whatever you want I got this I open up my whatever it's called I see that he's out here playing with the Darbies right I'm like, Joe, way to go, man. That's sick. And he's got his shirt off. He's ripped. You know, he's got abs. And they're like tattoos and like super cool, like Stevie Nicks vibes. Like they're rock and roll all the way, you know. And they're touring in Mexico. And I look at my band mix because I accidentally clicked on it when I was on my computer. And they had invited me to be their singer like eight oh, months wow. beforehand. And then he let, leaves that band and he comes back. And then I come and play on the street with them. And I look over and I go, Joe? Like, what? Mm -hmm. And I went, oh, I love this. I ship this. That's my story with Ricky. And we actually kind of, like, talked about it recently. And it was like, do you remember when we kind of said, like, wait till we're older and we've got bands of our own? Yeah. And it was kind of like. Y'all called it. Yeah. And here we are. Cool. Y'all both have killer bands, Dude, too. That guy is so good at guitar. It is, like. Oh, it's so cool. Dude, I've been playing a long time, and I've met a lot of people in Dallas, and he's, like, top of the list of pe oh people God. I've met. As far as just, like, fluidity and, and just able to just improvise, his improvising is just ridiculous to me. Yeah. And it's an ear thing. Mm -hmm. I've been teaching now for the first time in my life, uh, like, six to eight, well, maybe about a year. Actually, yeah, more like a year. And, like, there's students that come in that are like, Ricky, 
the students that come in that are like me, and then the students that come in that are like totally different than both of us. But a lot of the things that I do when it comes to teaching is like I'm trying to teach these kids how to have an ear. Yeah. Not how to like play chords, but like how to like know when they're not playing oh, the chords, right? It's a skill. Right? Yeah. And it's a skill that's built. Yep. And like I got lucky enough to build it. So did some of my buddies, like, and somebody else you should have on the show is William Dunnell. He's awesome. Um, and so did Ricky, but not everyone gets that, like, I don't know what, what you call it, just, like, the talent of being able to hear something and then, like, hear. Not everyone gets an ear that tells them no when they play the wrong thing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like, no, 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 alarm bells, mm. wrong chord, wrong note, you know, like. People sometimes, I've seen it, like buddies of mine even who are like with their band are like half a step down and their whole band's in standard. Dude, it takes a time. It's like, do you not realize that you just played everything a half step down and yep. like it sounded like the most cacoph cacophonous thing you could ever like hear because you just didn't hear the difference, you know? And not everyone has that. It Ricky takes time does. time to develop that though. It does. How yeah. did you meet Ricky? Dude, I just uh, stumbled upon him walking one night in Deep Ellum. Cool. And he was on the street there. And then, you know, I didn't really pay much mind to it then. And I was just like, damn, he fucking, he's killer. He's the only guy who does it. Pretty much, yeah. He loves it. Yeah. I don't think he does it anymore because he comes out and plays with us now. And I know that Hayden's got tons of opportunities he's building for Ricky. Mm -hmm. uh, but he was the only guy who did it. That's exactly how I met him. Dude, I mean, he's fit for that, though. His his whole vibe, his style, yeah, everything. He's like, so sweet and kind. Yeah, coolest dude. You know, like, you can, you can interact with anybody on the street, mm -hmm. um, which is like, I've done a lot of street performing. I did some in Spain this year, and then I did, I've did i done some in Prague, and, like, I've done stuff in Europe, and that's really where, like, you can test you who you are because they're people that have, have no tie. Like, they don't have tie to, like, listening to the country radio. Yep. They're just randoms. Right. Completely. They don't even speak your fucking language. That's what language. they say. Like, you can be a total star in America and go overseas and be nobody. And guess what? I think, for me, it might be the opposite. I made so much money playing on the street in Spain, dude. Really? Oh, my God. I played Cowboy, or Dead or Alive, or whatever, like, maybe, like, 115 times in the course of five days. Yeah. People were like, you know Bon Jovi? You know Bon Jovi? And I was like... You're damn right. What the hell? <laughs> Why are these Turkish people, Spanish people, French people, German people, Swedish people, Finnish people all asking me to play fucking Bon Jovi? Like, what the heck? And then I just kind of like did some research on him because I love the guy already. Yeah. And I realized like he put a lot of time into his career to like engage with everyone, not just like United You have States. to. And that's kind of what my mom and I are doing. You have right to, now. man. You have to diversify. It's not easy. You have it's not to. Easy. You got to spread your wings, especially in the internet age. Oh my gosh. You have to go. If you don't, then you're screwed. Yeah, dude. You're, you're only hindering yourself. Exactly. And yeah. I have like this weirdly big fan base in Brazil right now. Dude, that's that's odd. It's really odd. Yeah. It's like a weird feeling. I'm like, well, what do I do when I go down there if I, if I do? You speak Portuguese or what? It's like, <laughs> like I hope they speak English, you know? Um, Woo. Nice. Yeehaw. Anyway, so I gotta know. I gotta know about American Idol, dude. Okay, so, sorry, sorry, so tell me your experience with American so, Idol. Full disclosure. Uh, might I pour one? Go ahead, dude. Yeah, help yourself. Um, this may not be like the most amazing portrayal of what American Idol is about, yeah, but yeah. I don't have, don't have an NDA, and I will talk about it because it was good. It was a good experience, but it also wasn't the kind of experience that most people are expecting when they see the show. So American Idol, oof, that was a big one. Um, so I have this management, um, Brianna Arellas Music on Instagram. Check her out. She's the bomb. She, thanks. 
She just released a, a book mm. about management and stuff, but she was on American Idol ooh, um, when she was a younger artist, um, maybe like in her mid-20s. And because of that, she met a lot of the producers. First thing I'll say, this thing is a fucking TV show. Yeah, of course. So I did not have that mentality yet when I went into it. People told me that over and over again, and I went, mm, I'll just be sweet and kind, be myself, and I'll get there. And, yeah. uh, how wrong I was, I had no idea. Um, you can probably hit this, by the way. Go ahead. Okay. Do your thing. Um, and uh, so she goes, okay, Griffin, like I've got this person from American Idol who's been asking me if I have anybody uh, that I could throw her way, who's, she's a producer, uh, in the auditions that are more um, like professionally based. Sure. So like people who already play, already performing live. When you go do the cattle call, so if you're listening right now and you've tried to do American Idol, here's the deal. This is what I did. Um, I got past the first cattle call without even doing anything because Brianna made a phone call and was like, this kid's ready. He's really good. Here's a video. Here's a few videos of him playing. I work with him directly. I see him every week. So I know his family. I can tell them where to go, when to go. They're like, okay, cool. Thank you, Brianna. They want good people on there. Yeah, of course. Why? So they can cut them. Um, <laughs> we'll get to that. Uh, but uh, I go in to Waco. I sleep my I sleep my ass off in the car because I was up late drinking or whatever the night before. And my mom drives me to Waco. I wake up. I'm in Waco. I'm like, what the fuck? Where, where am I? And she's like, put these on. And she gives me them my boots and my outfit. I was like, oh, is this the day for the American Idol thing? Like, I was so tired when I walked over to the uh, car in the morning that I didn't even remember walking to the car. Yeah. I was confused as to why I was there. And I walk in, and there's this woman standing there with my, with my name tag waiting for me. Waiting yeah. for me. I was like, fuck. And then there's all these people like funneling into this gym to be in the cattle call line. And I was like, looking at my mom, like, what the fuck are we doing here, bro? Like, I'm not about to wait nine hours to go sing in front of some asshole. Like, get on a TV show that everyone can watch. But she's like, no, 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 you go through this door. So this is season three. Season three, auditions, auditions. This is like peak American Idol. Like, everyone was super watching that shit. Yeah, they were. And like, this is, um, Season three, but it was done during the airing of season two. So this we're talking twenty twenty. Am I doing? I'm doing this interview in twenty twenty one is when I actually went to Hollywood Week. So like they're doing all the interviews and all the uh, like auditions way before. People that you're seeing on the final product are people that have been in the process. Oh sure, by, yeah, yeah. By, I mean, by they a year do, and a half or yeah, two yeah, years yeah. already, you yeah, know? They gotta go, do, go through production so and all that. Yeah, exactly. It's all this production thing. And yeah, I didn't yeah. realize how complicated like a TV show is. I think about like audio and I think like play live, okay, this is a visual. You walk up on stage, turn on your amp, make sure you sound checked. But like, dude, fucking TV. Oh my God. There's so much stuff. There's so many guys whose dude, names yeah. you'll never know who are just yeah. doing things like carrying things or holding things. Yeah. You're like, you're just a tech guy. It's like, yeah, and then you look over, there's like 55 more of them just standing Dude, there doing the same yeah. thing. It's like, whoa. That's why the production budget. This is why it budget. costs so much, bro. Exactly. Like, it makes so much sense. And uh, so I go into this big gym, and I'm on the corner of the gym with like 15, maybe 20 other kids. Okay. And they're all like total, total stars. Yeah. Like, they're all like, one girl's got her like bedazzled 
bedazzled uh, high tops thing. all the way up to her leg. Yeah, yeah. And they're, her mom's like right there, like trying to prim her hair. Like they're all got the same thing going on that I do, where it's like, oh shit, our kid plays music. Let's promote the fuck out of them and try to build them a career. Mm-hmm. Skill levels are different. When it comes to just being an artist in general, you have to have a package. You can be not the best singer, but the best performer and still make it. Great writer, not the best looking, still make it, right? Depends on like what that package is, but you got to have a certain amount. You got to hit the boxes to a certain level on every single thing. Performance, yeah. looks, you know, uh, artistic creativity, ability to work with others, you know. Marketable. Healthy, all that. Yeah. right? Like self-conscious and aware, you know. Um, and so there's a lot of these people who had that big package going on with a bunch of those different things and support behind them. We sit in this line. I wait for like two hours to get my first audition. They take me from one room, and the people in the cattle call haven't moved. I'm moving up like every 15 minutes. We're moving up three people because they're taking three at a time or so of these pros. And like I was at the end of the line. Like there was only like a select like 40 of us uh, for a whole two days of cattle call, which is like I don't know up to like 4,500 people. Yeah. And they haven't moved. You can hear people auditioning in the room, and we're in a different room. So we go through this door after two hours. I filled out these forms, and then I'm sitting in another room. My mom comes in. She can sit with me here, this room. And we're waiting, and I met this girl named London Lawhorn. You're the bomb. Your baby's so cute, by the way. Way to be a mom. You're going to be a great mom. Um, she's, she just had a kid. She's so, so cool. She's the sweetest. Um, I'm very excited for them. Uh, and she's... Telling me about her experience two years ago and the year before in, in Megan Idol, and I was just sitting there going, I'm gonna be here for five hours. What the fuck? I was there for five hours. Damn. So I go in, sitting there for another hour after we get into the next room. Then I go sit with somebody with a the computer. They tell, ask me a bunch of questions about me. Some of them have to do with, like, are you like some crazy convicted murderer? No. Yeah, um, they're doing their simple. Uh, then there's check. Like, also, like, do you have, like, just allergies, all these weird things? Like, they just need to know information to make sure that. You know, they're, they're liable for certain things. Exactly. On a show. Yep. And then we go to another one where I kind of tell my life story. And then I go in and I actually play for the judges. <clears throat> I get like two lines into the song. And they go, all right, fuck off. You're getting in. See ya. So you had Simon. No, it wasn't them yet. So oh, this so this is this the, is the people pre. People get their mind blown about. Okay. First two auditions were not in front of people that were on the so that show. So they're even doing that to shitty people too then. Yeah. So, so the. They they they're, they're like they wouldn't like take somebody a random person off the street and put them in front of Simon. You know? Okay. Like they would uh they would they're gonna like make sure that they're good enough sure, you know, to be sure. on TV and can handle it. Yeah. But like yeah, it was fucking weird. We we did that. We paid our way to go to Waco. Obviously paid to get back five hours. I do the audition. They're like cool. You're gonna get a call back probably. We're gonna email you. Cool. I wait five months. Five months later. Hey Griffin, we would love for you to come out to L. A. On our own bill, yeah, right? Yeah. To audition for our executive producers. So I'm like, fuck it. My mom and I, you know, we put the money down, we get the tickets to LA, we go get to a hotel right next to the place that we're supposed to be doing it. I'm fooling around, like hanging out in the dispensaries, trying to get into one because I was like 20, 19, and 20 at the time, and I was like, couldn't quite 
old enough. This time I went through though. This time I was in I was in Anaheim recently. I was old enough, man, yeah. and I got to go to a dispensary for the first time. It was so cool. I went to the ones for the first time in Illinois. Oh my gosh, like, last the year. Weirdest, best feeling it's in the world. weird, right? It's yeah. Like, oh my god, if only my drug dealer could do this in the back of his house. Like, right, right. Shit's just expensive in there. It is though. Yeah. It's expensive, but it's worth it because you, you get in your car and not feel like a douche. Right, like, right. Contributing to like the freaking drug war in Mexico. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And uh, so I'm fooling around, and the day comes to do the audition. We show up at 7. I wait there for five hours, sitting next to and I meet this kid named Francisco Martin. Francisco Martin and I were good buddies at the time. Uh, most insecure guy in the world. He was top five. He had acne all over his face. Little Asian kid uh, with his friend, or this girl that I think they were like maybe more than friends, but they hadn't like, you know, said it yet. And his family. And my mom and I, my mom was just like, you know, she could just talk for hours. So they start chatting. The mom starts chatting. And we're sitting there for so long. He and I start playing John Mayer songs together. And then I get into the uh, audition room. And I, well, I get in. They pull me up to the second next floor with a group of like seven or ten other contestants. Okay. We're all standing in this line. And this girl starts hitting on me. And I was like, you're fucking 15. Like, fuck off. Yeah. It was really, really weird. Uh, I, I cold-shouldered her, and all the other guys that were, like, lined up with me were, like, you know, like, go on, soldier. Like, way to go. Because uh, she was very pretty, but she was definitely younger, you know? Uh, and it was really odd. It was really odd. It was a weird experience. I have never quite been hit on like that before in my life. Yeah, yeah. It was something that... So I, you're waiting five guys hours? Don't, guys don't do that. They don't get that kind of attention. It was super odd. We're waiting for that, people. They, yep. they come in. They gave us fi- fill out a few more forms. We're there for like 30 minutes. Then they start pulling people in the room. I get in the room. Yo, it's two white bitches. They look like my mom. Two li- old white ladies. And I just start playing Everlong by the Foo Fighters. And they go, okay, cool. Here's a golden ticket. And no it's like, way. It's this cardboard gold ticket. Yeah. And I was start telling them my story. My story. Like, we don't give a shit about your story, Griffin. You you sing good enough and you're cute. Get out of here. Oh my god. Yeah. And I was like, maybe it wasn't quite that aggressive. So did you ever get? Did you ever get that the typical audition like? Yeah, yeah, no. So so that's the second audition. Yeah. This is the thing that people don't know. So that's where the behind the scenes ends. So you had already been given your ticket ahead of before you even saw the judges. So that golden ticket, they called a golden ticket, but they're they're also kind of creating experience for the. the contestants because they're like making you feel like you're so great sure yeah i want you to be smiling on camera yeah it's a piece of cardboard it resembles the golden ticket to get to actually play in front of the judges okay so the next one we leave i i tell them i i sit down in this room with my mom and this lady on a computer that i'd spoken to earlier who was i'd seen her in waco she'd actually done one of my intake pieces in waco on the computer i tell her where i where i want to go she said you can come to la or you can go to oregon to do your audition in front of the judges we're like, fuck LA. Like, we don't want to be with a bunch of people from LA. That, yeah, it's a bad, it's I wouldn't, bad, yeah. It's a bad batch. So, we choose Oregon. And LA was going to be like a week later, and I had stuff to do, and we were like, nah. So, we did Oregon. It was like a few months later. It was the very end of the year. It was like November, right before Thanksgiving, and it was freezing, dude. Yeah, but. So cold. So, we go all the way up to Bend, Oregon. We pay for the, just to be clear, for you too, thinking about doing American Idol, we paid for every single audition up until our flight to Hollywood week. No way. Only thing that was paid for was our flight back home after I got cut. <laughs> That's crazy. Three auditions, three cities. 
How much do you think you came out of pocket? A couple thousand? I think uh, we did a total of uh, 12 plane tickets. Uh, so yeah, that's that's thousands of dollars. No, we, we put a good like six to seven K in. Those. Of course, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, so we go up to Bend, pay for the flight, get a rental car, drive two hours away from the airport to go up to Bend, Oregon, get there. It's beautiful. I get why they did it. Because of the visuals, man. Like, mm. they, they've got this, there was like elk like hanging out on the lawn of this place. And there was like the, the frost. You can see the frost. Oh, dude, it's beautiful up there. Gorgeous. Yeah. So there's this big, and this is the funniest part, I think, of all of it, or one of two. But next morning, auditions start. You have to be there at 5.45. We get there at 5.45. That's There's their call time? out the door of this cabin. It was like a big cabin, a big log cabin type of vent space that yeah. they had chosen on this big golf course area. So people have been sitting here already for like 25 minutes because it's like the new iPhone. You know, they want to be first, even though they don't realize that they're going to get in there and they're going to be given times to actually audition. So my mom and I were like, dragging our feet like fuck this like we don't need to worry about getting there on time like they're gonna be doing this all day long you know we'd figured it out because brianna's on the phone like telling us like yeah don't worry about it you know and we get there 545 stood there for 30 minutes in the cold this is a common theme on american idol they will put you in cold weather bring a scarf because they want to destroy the people who don't have voices and ruin their voice and if they can't make it through the cold weather they won't make it on tour because eventually they take them on a tour across the United States yep. playing, right? When they get to the top 10, 20, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And if you can't handle those first auditions and being in the cold for 30 minutes before you get to sing, then you can't handle the tour. So they do everything to break you down, right? It's like SEAL training, SEAL school or whatever, Some psychological right? shit. So yeah. we're standing out there in the freezing cold and everybody's sitting there going like, like dressed up in their like cute outfits to be like in front of Katy Perry. Yeah, and they're not yeah. bringing like a big jacket. And we're just shivering there. And my mom and I are like, ah, oh, fuck this. We have a hotel right down the road. My mom and I just like got went and got big blankets and just like sat, like, like grabbed some tables out, chairs out of whatever. And we just sat there way away from everyone just waiting for the line to move. Yeah. And just kind of chilled. And I just kind of like snuggled up and fell asleep for a little while. And then the line starts moving. She's like, get your ass up. Like I said, she's an angel. Uh, but... She drags me in there. We go in there. We sign up more things, more wristbands, more pictures, more photo booth stuff. And then, like, I get there and they're like, okay, here's the auditions for today. All right. Auditions will be tomorrow for, for this group. So the next day was my auditions. So I sat there the whole time waiting to be have my name called. We sat there for 14 hours waiting for my name to be called for Jeez. two different types of press. So they did, like, video stuff, and then they did, like, an interview. Yeah. Once that was done, I, I went home, and I went back to sleep, called my girlfriend or whatever, um, and hung out with that guy, Francisco, because he was there, too. Uh, and uh, he had actually, like, since the last time I'd seen him, started to really develop, and, like, he started, like, I was, like, when I told him, I saw him, I was, like, dude. But at first time, I was, like, dude, put on a button down, bro. You look hotter, dude. You're a handsome kid, yeah. man. Now this guy's, like, killing it. He's, like totally went super all like the, the whole way on American Idol and got a huge fan base. Um, what did you end up singing for the judges? So I did. So that first day I was one of the first five to go. I was second person in line. They say they put the people who do like the non cattle call interviews first because mm-hmm. they don't want the judges to be tired because by the end of the day they're like tired of. I'm sure. Yeah. So I see I, I'm, I'm standing in line. Second in line. This girl in front of me is a, she's a, from Sweden or Scotland, Scottish, gorgeous, quite gorgeous, um, very pretty, goes in, sings so loud and powerfully and amazingly that I could hear her through the giant 
oak double doors. Like it was insane how loud she was to yeah. have been able to hear. Her. And I was like chattering my boots, and I go to the guy, I go, "Should I do an original? Or should I do a cover?" He was like, "Do whatever you think." So you are, you were at the door, not even sure what you were gonna sing. I, I never choose a set until I go on stage. Oh wow! Unless I have like a big show, like if I play Granada, that's like we like have a set ready. Like Pearl Jam used to do that shit back yeah. in the day. Yeah, you just feel, you know, it's like you feel like okay, if I want to play this right now and it's gonna make me happy, I'm sure it's gonna make the crowd happy. Sure. Or sometimes, you know, I've had set lists where I've like played a set and had it written out, and then the the crowd is like the opposite of what I should have played. Mm -hmm. You know, so I've kind of learned to like get in that moment, stand in front of the microphone, and give it a few minutes, a few seconds, and go. Okay, that's probably gonna fit best, you know. And I had I knew what I was gonna do either one, and he was like, "Do a cover, do whatever you want, but do a cover, maybe." And I should have done an original. If I had done an original, I wouldn't be on this podcast today. Okay, I think deep down, my mom and I agree. Like, if I had to play one of my original songs that that day out of the get go, I would have like been top five that oh, year. Yeah. But um, I go in, I play Tennessee Whiskey, which I'd already played like. 100 200 times so i was bored and they're like sounds great it was bored i go in um they're giggling about something at the table and i'm like here to that wall away from the judges because of space for the cameras and stuff so talking about myself lionel's the one who kind of ran my my interview for the first one okay and he was like so tell us about you griffin and i'm like Lionel Richie just said my name. Uh, he's such a beast. He's so sweet. He's like the warm hearth of a fire. That's got to be intimidating standing right there. It was. Yeah. Um, first time I'd I'd shook on stage in like ten years. I I lost. I stopped shaking when I went on stage when I was like eleven, which is something that it's like a certain point. I'm gonna start being a stage uh, stage presence teacher soon. I'm gonna start building my own. Oh, that's cool. Company, oh, yeah. and it's I've I've been me and my vocal coach have been like trying to like put words around some of the defining characteristics of moments like that mm -hmm. where like you stop shaking, you know, you don't get as afraid, and you know, so it was like the first time that I felt that in a long time. I was like, oh fuck, yo, maybe I didn't do you know wall pushes are yeah yeah where you like get the endorphins released before you act or whatever. I okay. didn't do enough wall pushes before I walked in here, but then. He's like trying to run my interview. He's asking me who I am, and I was telling him about my mom and like where I'm from, Texas. And this is hilarious. This is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my fucking entire life in the entertainment industry. It goes, so I'm sitting here, it goes, Lionel, Luke, Katie, right? Luke Bryan is in the middle, and he fucking sneezes. The loudest dad <laughs> sneeze I've ever heard in my damn life, dude. And he's just like, Achoo! you know, and it's just visually like you, I'm standing there in the middle of a sentence and I see him like, like getting ready to, and I'm yeah, just like, yeah. it's paused. And then it happened. And Lionel's like, hmm? like, what, why are you pausing? You know, like, and he just, just giant amount of goop, just like, oh God, comes out of his nose onto the table. <laughs> And I noticed it. Lionel didn't because he's focused on me. A lot of production didn't or whatever. But the moment that happened, Katy Perry did everything but smite, smite him, bro. She went. <gasps> oh, gross. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Get me away from it. Get me away from it. Get me away. Take it away. Take it away. You know, like, and we continue the interview. And Off to Lionel, a great start. Right? Lionel <laughs> starts talking to me and asking me another question. Halfway through his question, 
Katie is completely forgotten that I'm there. Yeah. Like she's being her complete self. She goes, Luke, are you gonna are you gonna fucking clean that up? Yeah. Excuse my French, but are you gonna freaking clean that up? And Luke is like solely shocked. He has no idea that he's just snotted all over the table. And then like I stood there awkwardly, making like smiley eye contact with Lionel Richie while Katy Perry like made this disgusting like face towards oh, Luke, man. like scolding him. And Luke was like, "Can somebody give me a napkin?" It was like like scooping. It was like the funniest. What a horrible thing. experience! And then I go into Tennessee whiskey. I nail it. Luke Bryan's watching me playing guitar. He's like, "Woo!" And he goes, "So I end." And he goes, "They're like, okay, 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 cool. So you sound great." Katie and Lionel were like, "It sounds like you've played this enough. You're bored." They read right through it. That's like the most exciting part of that song, and I'm not excited about it anymore. It's like an eight, uh, nine piece uh, uh, run that I practiced for so long for this audition, but I expected to audition so long ago that I'd played it so many times live that I don't yeah. fuck anymore. So they're like, You sound bored. When you come back, please bring us something new. Like, be excited, be ready. And Lionel said I had the best, one of the best, like, connections with my guitar that he's seen forever. He's like, that thing is an extension of your body. Like, it's pretty impressive. Uh, I don't That's see that often. That's pretty cool for him to say that. Oh, my God. It felt yeah. so good. At the end of the day, I didn't go through as far as I was expecting to. And I've learned, and I've also, like, from the beginning, the moment that happened, and they gave me a, my golden ticket, they were like, yes, yes, yes. And I got my golden ticket. I got to shake their hands and stuff. Um, I realized, okay, no matter where this goes from here, Three of the best performers in the industry for the last 15 to 45 years just said, yes, I'm worthy. I didn't get, yes, you can go to the yeah. next stage. I got, yes, you could be one of us one day from That's that. great to get the approval from people like that, right? And then from there, yeah. there's a, it's an even longer story, to be honest. But I went from there to Hollywood Week. Um, we paid for our flight there. Not for our hotel room, though. And we got in this hotel... There was like some Hilton or whatever right by the, the theater. First day, I get in on a flight at the same time as all these other people in this big group. and make us wait for like an hour until everyone in this group that's supposed to be in this group gets together. And I realized, because I was sitting next to this girl named Rayla that I was supposed to play guitar on a tour with like four years ago. And then she's like, fuck a band. I want to do tracks instead. She's going far. She's got a song that's on Disney as a opening song for a TV show right now. Oh, that's, that's pretty cool. She's sitting next to me on this double decker bus. So we waited for everyone. We're all tired. Did you hear our, what's it called? Guess what? We're going to go on a tour of LA and Hollywood in, in November weather on a double decker bus where you're not allowed to sit downstairs. You can only sit outside. Guess what? Yeah. Yeah. They try to break us down. And I was smart. I sat in the back. I said, fuck this seat. I curled down into like the underneath and I stayed below the top of the thing. The guys were like mad. They, they like, they almost tried to like bring like this, like police force level kind of like authority to get me to sit up in my actual seat. Yeah. Like you're not making the picture look good. There's like one spot in the back that doesn't look like there's somebody sitting there. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ah, I didn't do that. But I was Those like, production no, guys so are cold, guys. Like, I think I don't want to get sick. Yeah. Next day, I'm the only one who sings clean. Every single person on that bus got cut. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah. 
And then so it was like, I was like, I know what's up. And I kept telling people, I was like, they're doing this to fuck our voices over, dude. They're doing this to screw. And they're like, no, they're not. Mm-hmm. And they pr- purposely told us before we got on that bus, they said, if you have a jacket, it's going to be warm. Go ahead and leave it with your suitcase. And I was like, yeah, right. They kind of warned me. So day one comes through. We get to the hotel, obviously. We sign in or whatever. Start hanging out. I start hanging out with a bunch of the contestants. These were some of the coolest, most intensely talented, and like like business oriented people I've ever met in the industry. And a lot of them were so much more talented than business, and a lot of them were so much more business than talent. You know, it was such a weird mixture of people, but it was the best. It was some of the best of the best. Yeah, yeah. I gotta say, like I got to meet people who now I look at their Instagram and go, "Damn, dude, I wish I could hit that note." Like, whoa. Um, day one comes. They do all these um, auditions. They do everyone's audition in day one. You choose a cover or an original. You play 45 seconds of it. The whole entire group of people who is in your competition is watching in the Orpheum Theater in in, uh, downtown Hollywood. And I go on stage. Not a single person has moved from where they were given the microphone. They put that mic stand in one place. That person walks away from that one place when they leave the stage. They do not move a single fucking inch the whole time. Okay. I get on stage. I did Folsom Prison. (laughs) I'll show you guys exactly kind of like what. And not everyone had, so I had my vocal coach there. We, the guy that I was just with, we were paid to have him come by to actually come to this because we were like, okay, you work with him for for two years and like, you know, like come through. And... I did this song. I did a. Oops. You like Johnny Cash? Oh, of course. Yeah. So I did a, a little bit of, of this, and I was the only guy who moved, and I got a standing ovation. I was one of the one of three people who got standing ovations out of 263 contestants, and um, it's because I moved, and I made like. What's his face? His jaw drop. Um, I remember. I remember. Like, I, I. I. So I go. This is a song by Johnny Cash. It's Mr. Man in Black. It's called False Prison Blues. Right. And the moment I started doing that, that's not how fast the song is. I had to slow down. My vocal coach was in the back, up on the up above, going, "Slow the fuck down." Yeah. And I was like. But I started out on a level with an energy that like nobody else had brought to the table. I think it worked in my favor. Uh, so I'm like, well, I hear a train coming. It's rolling around the bend. Ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. Cause I'm stuck in full from prison. Time keeps dragging on. Yeah. And that train, it keeps on rolling. On down to sailing tone. And right about there, I look I look at like Katie Perry go, how's that for something new? With like this anger that you could only have if you're like an adopted kid <laughs> with problems who plays rock and roll guitar. Yeah. yeah. And it, like I literally saw her like, mm-hmm. like, oh shit, like he just threw a dagger at me. He like, what? 
like he's mad at me. Yeah. You know, and so I keep going. It's like, um, when I was just a baby, my mama told me, son, always be a good boy. Don't you ever play with guns? When I shot a man in Rito, yeah, just to watch him die. Spin move, right there. So. Right? Yeah. And then back to the B. I hang my head and I cry. And I go, how about that, Luke Bryan? Is that new enough for you? And I go like this, and let's say this is the center stage and this is the walkway. Yeah. And then like you're like where the judges are. There's three of them on that separate walkway, like on all the shows. I go. And I start snaking towards them. Yeah. And I walked around them and I walked around the full judges stage. I got this close to each of them pretty much. And the end of the song, I went, um, so. And then by the end of it, I kind of made it around to the right of the front of the judges. And then I went like this. Uh, I went. And I was like, you guys like the new? <laughs> and I was like so close to them. And their faces were just like, what the hell did we just walk into? Yeah, sure. Who was this performer? And I went. Like a real rock star. Yeah. I, loved it. Yeah. I got a standing ovation from the parents. I got such a standing ovation that the next day, two days later, but it was the next round. Yeah. The next round over two two days. When I got cut, people cried. So next round was duets, and I was like a uh, high value piece. People had seen that I had like some performance ability, and when they told us to choose duet partners, people were trying to work with me and. Mm -hmm. I'm a weird guy. I like to do different things. I chose the one guy who was this, uh, I love him to, to death, Bilal. Um, he, uh, he's from Pakistan. And we both had eyeliner on, which is why I chose him. I was like, oh, I need to learn. What is that? He's like, it's actually a religious thing. Mm. It's not eyeliner. It's like, a, it's like a religious eye thing. And like people use it so that they can like avoid getting sunburnt on their eyelids and stuff when they're in the, in the fields in Pakistan. And I wear that every day because it's also a religious thing. And I was like, Duke can I have some. We should be partners for the duet because we're kind of cool. Yeah. And he had this amazing story. And this is kind of where I think I screwed myself over a little bit was that I chose somebody who had almost like this better story than me and an amazing voice. He didn't do very well on our audition. But his story and the diversity piece, when I got cut and he didn't, we did um, – I'd catch a grenade for you. Okay, yeah. And I was going to do like the, I'd catch a grenade for you. Like this fucking duper guttural like thing. And he was going to do this clean thing. We were going to play off of each other and have this little like, like, like a choreographed thing. And we practiced our asses off. Like, and we, we killed it. He did the guttural. I did the clean. Just by like, just nature of like anxiety. Mm -hmm. Because... Of the he showed something new and I showed something they'd already seen. I don't know what it was. This it was the end of the day. This little Asian like producer runs up to them and like whispers into like Luke Bryan's ear, and then Luke Bryan goes, "Well, Griffin, it's time for us to start making cuts today." And like the whole room, 
Yeah. He got so, sucked out. Because people were like, what? Because he did guttural, but he can't. He can't do the grind like I can. He did not sound good. He's an amazing. He's a, he's probably a little bit yeah, more so skilled like, than I am, frankly, as a vocalist. Mm, sure. And it was just like the opposite of what people expected. Mm-hmm. And then they cut me. And I walked through, and then they were like trying to, at the end, they were trying to be like, do you want to cry right now? Tell us why you want to cry. And I'm like, why are you baiting my questions? Like, yeah. you know? And well, they have. Yeah, it's all Hollywood, so they right? They didn't air much of me at all. Yeah. Because they knew that I had a career going on. They'd already interviewed my mom, who had talked about how we'd put time and money into this. I chose, I think, the wrong person to do it with. Next time I'm going to do like Johnny Cash, Jackson, or something like that. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, overall, what it did was it solidified some of my beliefs about the industry and understanding what that means and what it means to be an artist and what it means to do something like a TV show. Yeah, you got a crash course in it. I did. Basically, and I crashed right? hard. Hard enough that I'm like never going to crash again, I hope. Hell yeah. Uh, I think maybe in the next two years when I build – the voice is a muscle, so like you can – Run a you know a, a good 40, 40 meter, and then a forty yard dash, and then you know lose some of your strength and then get it back. So, I'm in one of the processes of building it back because I've had vocal notes twice. Do you know what those are? No. They're calluses on your vocal cords. Okay, yeah, yeah. They're career enders usually. I've had them twice already. I had the first time when I was fourteen, fifteen. The second time when I was nineteen. Uh, I went into American Idol on the cusp of vocal notes. Like I w- got home from American Idol and went to a doctor, and he was yeah. like. He's Aeros- He's um, Steven Tyler's doctor or whatever. He was like, you are lucky that you don't have to get surgery. And I was like, oh, no way. oh wow. Is that why I got cut? Like, did my voice sound that bad? No, it didn't. But I was surviving on it. And uh, I don't know. I've gotten lucky to have spent so much time with some of the people that I've gotten to work with, man. And, like, be on American Idol? Like, fuck. That's awesome. I mean, I was in the same room as Katy Perry. Exactly. She called me cute, actually. Really? I've, like, <laughs> kind of realized I can, like, die happy now because she's called me cute. <laughs> Uh, it's like my, it's like one of my things that like every time I had this amazing interaction on my way over here, actually, this girl cut me off and I'm driving and I was blasting my music and, uh, had my windows down, you know, full ride, full scent, you know? And, uh, she like pulled up next to me cause like I started like hopping in front of her and then she would hop in front of me and we were driving down midway for a while and she was really cute and she pulled up next to me and I was like, and I drove away. But, like, <laughs> that kind of shit never happens. And when I was on American Idol, when Katy Perry said that to me, like, it filled every desire as a young man that I've ever had for a girl to give me some affection. <laughs> and now, whenever, like, I get rejected or, like, some girl, like, doesn't show up to a date or, like, any bullshit that you could imagine being a guy in today's dating age and today's, like, just the, mar- the dating market is like, fucking, it's, it's, a, it's a mess. I just remember... Katy Perry. Fireworks out of her titties lady told me that was pretty. Okay, we're, we're good. We're good. We're good. She's so cool. Like, we're good. And that's, like, I think that's the real thing that I, I, I love to take away from American Idol. And for anybody who's listening who's been on American Idol or is considering going on a show, if you get a yes at any of those turns, that's a yes that you should carry with you for the rest of your life. Oh, for sure. That's the a, no yeah, that's that you get is the kind of no that you just need to, like, digest it and let it, just shit it right out into the toilet because – it's not going to do anything for you. Mm-hmm. And it did a lot for me to be on American Idol. Even though it could be perceived, and for a while we thought it was like in getting in the way. It was, it, I had this weird reaction to being rejected, and I was like, I started acting out when I got home. But then when I kind of got my shit together again, that power and like that place where they were like, yeah, 
three of one of some of my idols, people who I've seen the things that they've done. I've been singing Sunday morning since I was a kid. Said yes to me. Mm-hmm. That's my American Idol. That's experience. great, man. That's all you can ask for. Yeah. That's, that's all I care about. So this has been one of our longer episodes. Sorry. No, I, no, 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 no. I was. I just wanted to ask you if you if you would like to uh, play us out. Oh, with dude, a, any, totally. any song of your choice? Yeah, I, any song? Yeah. I'll do. I can do a short little like thing that I'm I'm working on right now. That'd be great, man. Um, let me. Uh, Thanks for sharing with us. So I really appreciate all no this. Problem. Yeah, yeah. You let me ramble for so You're an long. open book, man. Uh, it's the downfall of my of my relationships usually. So <laughs> I'm glad somebody enjoys it. <laughs> it makes for a good podcast, though. It does. Yeah. I, you know what? I'm thinking now, being here, maybe I should uh, start engaging in some podcasts. You should, man. Yeah, no. It, it people that can just ramble and talk. It's that's what makes a podcast. And dude. that's what I listen to, man. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, do you ever watch Flagrant and stuff? Of course. Okay, totally. That's yeah. like. Right, right in my my uh, my wheelhouse and stuff. Hell yeah! Uh, here's a song by uh, a guy that I I just uh, met with his um, producer, one of his producers uh, in Nashville while I was there. Uh, he that producer Sean Brin just won uh, the American Songwriter Magazine's uh, Songwriter of the Year award for oh, this album. Is. And uh, I met him through Bonnie Baker and and some of the people you know. Uh, uh, John Tyler and, and, and some of the people in Nashville, and I started listening to the song that he, the album that he recorded with this guy, that he won an award for. And this is a song that is on it that I'm fucking obsessed with these days. It's called. I'm just gonna do the chorus. I'll play us out. But uh, it's called um, "Dark in His Soul" by Brian Sutherland. It goes like this. On the windshield, headed somewhere new. Gotta keep moving, it's all that I can do. Time on the clock and breaking down the wood, wondering where we're gonna go, wondering if we should. I found you when I hit rock bottom in an old bean bottle and I found myself a wheel on which way to go. Ain't it true? You can lead a man to water, but you can't take him farther unless he's ready to face the dark in his soul. Unless he's ready to face the dark in his soul. Man, I love Thank that. You. That was Thank awesome. You. Thank you so much. That was really killer, dude. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for Sorry coming down. Too, too, too long, but. Uh... No, that was it great, was man. That was. Fun. I might have to hit you up and ask to be back on this. Absolutely, thing. I'd love to have you come down again, man. Yeah, and I'll bring my own. Hey, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely, dude. Do you ever do stuff like at uh, events? Would you ever do like um, podcast type things before? I'd love to. A big like release party show. I'd love or to song do that. Or whatever like that. Yeah. Like bring your little setup to absolutely. somewhere. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. 
Yeah, if you ever want to have me come down, absolutely, dude. dude I'd love to do some that. Some events coming up for me and some other artists that I'm t very close to that could use some of the promotion and some of like the. They could use a space like this with yeah. someone like you to speak their mind in the moments where they're doing bigger things. I, I think, think so too. Yeah. Very fitting for it. Let's talk about it afterwards, man. Sure. Hey, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Um, hey, yeah, y'all have a good night. What's up with that? Y'all be you. We're going to be us. Later. What's up with that? Woo! Hell yeah. That was a great episode, dude. Hey, thank you. If you'd like to see raw, unedited live episodes, follow us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash what's up with that. To watch full episodes of what's up with that, subscribe to us on YouTube at youtube.com slash what's up with that.